Hello there. Welcome to another episode of Real Time with MK Podcast. Today we will be discussing business process outsourcing during COVID-19 with Mike Matson, CEO and Ardi Kumar, COO at Matson Kumar. Let's go. Uh, today is a special episode as I, I have two special guests today. Uh, none other than the CEO and COO of Matson Kumar. Uh, I have Mr. Mike Matson and Arti Kumar today, and we have a fantastic, interesting topic to discuss today. We have we are discussing business process outsourcing during this pandemic, COVID nineteen. Lot of changes has happened. Lot of difficulties challenges being faced so these leaders are going to talk about that before that let me just quickly introduce them they were on the show on the first episode which was almost a year ago now they are back so mike matson he's a ceo at matson kumar he brings over 25 years of direct bpo executive leadership he has open managed and helped expand several thousands of several thousand seats of bpo operations throughout americas and asia he has built and managed inbound outbound and back office outsources team that provides sales service technology and various complex processes for a variety of fortune 500 clients so that's uh, our ceo and another guest is arthi kumar she has over 26 years of experience across various domains she is one of the first female international bpo general managers across all of asia and has held various leadership roles in addition to wearing many hats she has launched two widely successful startups from ground zero in this market and she is the go to person for any outsourcing solutions so before without further ado i let me just bring them on thank you so much uh, thank you so much mike and arthi to taking time out for episode 11 uh, i'm so glad to meet you all here nice to meet right, you as so- well hard to believe it's been a year of these I didn't have any gray hair when they started. <laughs> absolutely. You don't absolutely. have any still, Mike. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you, you Arthi. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thanks oh, Vivek. It is a it's great to be back and of course it's uh, so a great introduction. I think a little exaggerated but hey, that was <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. So as you both know we are going to discuss about BPO and or this is for outsourcing during covid. So you know just to start off let's talk about the year that went by 2020 it was an year eventful year basically with the pandemic lockdowns and remote forces so there's a question for both of you uh, what are the top lessons from 2020 according to you Yeah well, I well let me let me take a stab and see if RT wants to pile on um You know, I think very early on we realized personally that um communicating with our team in such a quickly changing environment uh became not only a, a want but a very much a need. We needed to take communication levels to next levels because, you know, uh, government was coming out with lockdown rules and how that impacted workplace and and we just You know, we could have all been in our own little bubbles trying to strategize, right. but but what RT and I thought we recognized right away was 
um, we needed to be, we needed to live our mantra. One of our uh, taglines is be transparent. And so we very quickly went to a, here's what we know is happening dynamic with the entire organization. And we shared um, what, what the uh, impacts of the various uh, changes due to COVID were and what our approach was. We asked for suggestions. We admitted that we, we were uh, on new ground. But I would say uh, big open communications in a dramatic fashion uh, really served us well. Right, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, anything to add on that, uh, Arthi? I think, uh, you know, one of the big lessons also in addition to that is uh, we always knew we had a fantastic team that we worked with, but I think the team really stepped up. You know, there was absolutely no playbook. We had uh, a lot of BCP scenarios uh, uh, done in the past. None of the scenarios were what we had anticipated um, with the complete lockdown so quick. And I have to say that, um, you know, with the transparency as well, I think um, it really helped develop the team spirit. Was you know just the, our just ability of the uh, focus on the employees. Uh, number one mantra that Mike and I established on day one was employee safety, and I think once we got that out there, that we will do everything we can to support our clients to meet our clients' needs. But our first focus is employee safety. I think that really helped uh, us uh, driving home that message. Absolutely, absolutely. All the activities also were revolving around these two things predominantly right so uh, you know just just going over the lessons uh, i would love to hear from you some of the best practices which were followed at mk which helped the organization traverse through such a chaotic time which was for most of the organizations you know there was a lot of chaos in those early uh, weeks and even you know making sure we understood what our clients wanted during these change, this global pandemic it was impacting them at their home, whether it was in the UK or the US or somewhere throughout India or somewhere throughout Asia Pacific, as well as where our service delivery is from, which is India. And so, um, but I think, you know, in, on reflection, at the time we were reacting very quickly to changing dynamics. On reflection, though, I think it was just a focus on our core service delivery practices that got us through it. You know, we have a number of ways that we measure uh, uh, whether we're hitting uh, our client service delivery objectives. That continued, whether we were uh, in a remote environment or in the office, and, and measuring those uh, dynamics, um, I think, kept us kept our eye on the ball, kept our uh, kept the ship going the right way. And I think that uh, that quickly ensured that our clients saw that we could maintain the service delivery they had come to expect, irrespective of the of the headache that came our way. And I think that that was a core uh, a piece of what led to our success. Right, right. All right. Uh, are there anything to add on to that? I think, uh, you know, I think clients number one focus and I think the other one, the other big focus was our employees. And I think uh, from day one, we, we started a pandemic meeting. So from a leadership meeting or once a week, we moved to every day. And I quickly, we also realized that working from home is not easy. So our weekly meetings, staff meetings that we have, we kind of added a fun element or game element to it that kind of brought everybody together. And I think that uh, just getting people to focus 
on client delivery, but also to actually take a moment to actually take a deep breath and have a little fun and kind of engage as a team because this was now everybody's working from their own homes. Uh, really helped us. And I think that kind of kept the momentum going. And we were one of the first people to switch to an 80% complete staff back online within first five days. So I think that was a huge win. We could have done it without the team. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So while while all these steps have been, been taken, you know, what, what were the top challenges faced while deploying such a huge remote mm -hmm. workforce? Which, are, which is handling basically global customers from varied industries. Uh, what were the top challenges faced? RT, I don't know if you wanted to answer because I know that you were, uh, you, you know, we were both in India at the time, but she was managing, I think, the, you know, so India announced a uh, countrywide lockdown, you know, to take effect in less than 72 hours. And right. we had uh, we had less than a handful of remote workers before then. So within a very fast time period, we had to get hundreds and hundreds of systems, um, you know, InfoSec ready to individual homes and build the process for the, you know, the just the logistics of signing out the asset and tracking it and testing the IT connectivity. And meanwhile, we had very few cars that had the permits necessary to drive through the, you know, the, 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 the areas to deliver. So it was just that, you know, the early days was, was people working 24 hours and RT already mentioned this, um, the effort of the team pulling together. And these were not just our great IT organization. These were everyone who had time or had, uh, um, happened to have a pass, you know, uh, uh, they all banded together to make this happen. Go ahead, RT. I mean, I remember the pictures uh, that we posted as well of the early days, people coming in at two collect systems. So adding to what Mike said, on a traditional BPO, uh, because of the infosec requirements, people don't work on laptops there. They have desktops and they need to come into work, log in. Most of them are maybe even just thin clients. And we then had to convert to everybody getting their own machine. So not only the nightmare of logistically giving everybody a machine, but also renting them out. So, and there was a uh, you know, purchase, rent, whatever we could do to get a large number of systems available so that we could A, set it up and B, give it to employees. Uh, right. And uh, while we have uh, employees across three different cities, uh, largely, but we also have remote, some remote employees. So Jaipur, NCR, and uh, when I say NCR, I mean Gurgaon. But Gurgaon right. has a challenge, you know, you have to cross three different state borders. That means the right. pass that we got for Kurgaon didn't work. So while I think a lot of companies uh, really worked hard to get this done, and I think the association called NASCOM really worked, the government had not got the act together really as fast as what we needed. So you would have Delhi ready to give you a pass, but Gurgaon not ready to give you a pass, or NOIDA not ready right. to, that's another state. So uh, there were there were a lot of challenges, and I think the, the government uh, didn't really think this through. I have to say that, uh, uh, the just the, the the sheer everybody working together, whether it was the association, our own teams, uh, I would say even other other companies within our industry, because there was a lot of exchange of best practices. Hey, I'm getting a pass from here. Why don't you log in now? And the guy is going to issue a pass. You know, uh, that all right. really helped. So I, I saw the industry coming together as one as well. I thought that was a that was a great win for all of us. Fantastic! I think it's a, it took it took a entire village to get the show running. All right, absolutely. So, uh, you know, 
since since both of you are the a couple of industry veterans here now couple of, I, I would like to pick your brains on the industry aspect your the BPO industry as <laughs> right so i i have to uh, get your opinion on certain things certain questions are focused on that so first question is can you please share your thoughts on some of the trends you have observed in the business processing outsourcing realm in the past 12 months or so? sure well you know uh, many many global economies have taken a big hit uh, due to covid and uh, historically, uh, global recessions or even bordering on depressions in some countries have, have aided um, outsourcing. Uh, companies right. need to cut costs. They look to uh, mitigate necessary service del delivery via outsourcing rather than and, cut, and reducing their own internal costs. And we've seen right. that trend uh, currently. Um, India, I think, is, is turning out to be a winner if there is such a thing in a global pandemic because right. um, w within india um, you had a we have a far more robust uh, um, infrastructure internet infrastructure uh, throughout the country that enabled uh, the widespread um, you know redeployment of, of on-premise employees to remote to their homes to their remote workforces and the capability of having fast enough internet to be able to provide support um, right. You know, we've we've had many clients who have told us that their Philippine operations uh, took months to recover, and in fact, some are still not fully recovered, because um, apparently in the Philippines, while their data centers, while their service delivery centers have absolutely state-of-the-art, uh, uh, you know, infrastructure and communications, when you get into the homes. Um, the internet uh, connectivity speeds are much uh, uh, lower, much smaller, right. not capable right. to handle uh, business applications in many cases. So we right. were, frankly, we've been able to capitalize on that. We have had uh, three or four clients either transfer work from the Philippines or, uh, um, you know, just outright uh, move from the Philippines to India, and, and, I, and that's not just us. We've talked to many of our worthy competitors in the space, and they're seeing the same phenomenon. So I think, um, you know, if, there's a, if there is one bright light out of this tragedy that is a global pandemic, uh, as far as companies in global outsourcing, we're actually benefiting. We've, uh, our uh, revenues have grown 30% in the past year. Um, we've added several new logos. And uh, we've been able to do it with, uh, as our team mentioned, a 70% remote workforce. Right, right. Uh, yes. Uh, Arthur, you, you would like to add uh, something to that? I, I think um, Mike's kind of covered it all. <laughs> yeah, right. All right. You know, since you touched upon this, you know, I would like to uh, drill down a little bit more on this, you know, comparison between India and Philippines all the time. Uh, for for fact, we know that Philippines struggled their bit and is still struggling with lockdowns impacting their BPO hubs, etc. How do you think you know uh, India survived, kind of survived this pandemic from a business process outsourcing standpoint? Uh, let me take this. I think uh, uh, if if you really look at the DNA of India, I think while uh, India has had its own lockdowns as well, I th I think the ability to find workaround solutions is is inherent to. Uh, most people within India, and, and I think that was also demonstrated by our team coming in at two o'clock in the morning. Whether you know we'll we'll figure out when the lockdown happens, let's get our systems. I, India right. has a has has had lockdowns, but our 
internet capability is actually pretty good. You know, it's been tested now, not just in, um, you know, the metro that's uh, Delhi, Bangalore, Bombay, uh, but I think even in, even in a tier two city like Jaipur or where employees went back home, whether it was to some of the smaller cities like Coimbatore or Mysore, we've seen people have good internet capabilities. The they have multiple multiple suppliers, so people have actually invested in multiple internet capabilities. I think that's a big plus. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, uh, India wasn't really utilizing was this whole remote uh, work from home. We had a very small percentage of our team members working remotely prior to this pandemic. And even after a year, uh, while we've got a lot of team members back, we're still at 70% work from home. And I think uh, this process has worked because of two reasons. I think the infrastructure that's really there, but I also feel that inherently just the ability of the team members to be so flexible, which is uh, while we say they are full-time employees in India versus, and uh, they are willing to, you know, so in a work from home environment, you might work in the morning few hours, you might work in the afternoon. The team members, right. and I think that's across India, were able to demonstrate that they would do whatever it takes to get the job done. So whether it meant working later in the night because I can't finish my target in the day because I had an internet problem. And that specifically, I think, helps India's position itself in a better position vis-a-vis -vis Philippines and many other countries, which kind of use the very nine to five, so to speak, uh, day. You know, So they work their shift and they log out. And if you haven't finished your work, you pick it up the next day. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you kind of answered my next question also, which was again about <laughs> some of the, <laughs> some of the specific <laughs> some of the specific advantages India offers when it comes to outsourcing compared to Philippines in the current scenario. So you have kind of covered that. So let's move on. So another important I thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can. Oh. You know. Um, so you know, if you look at global outsourcing from the time I started in India, way back at the turn of the century. Sounds, makes me sound so old. Um, you know, th th there's been a, a lot of people tried India and a lot of people tried the Philippines. And then India settled on the, you know, basically they're settled on this voice in the Philippines, back office in India kind of uh, right. mantra. Uh, and, right. and some people, uh, you know, tried India, didn't like it and moved to the Philippines and vice versa. Um, I have long maintained that uh, in the top 10% in India is every bit as good uh, in, as any agents anywhere. The challenge that BPOs such as MK have is how do we recruit, hire, train, and retain that top 10%. Um, I think what the global pandemic has done, in addition to the technology challenges we brought up with the internet in remote areas in the Philippines, the Philippines was already reaching capacity in some of their hubs. And so uh, people who wanted to leverage global outsourcing were faced with a dynamic of where else do they go? Some were naturally taking another look at India, um, many uh, and or other new emerging markets, uh, near shore and in the US market, uh, Central America, etc. Um, the advantage India continues to have, however, is uh, scalable English language capabilities. Um, there are still uh, a, a huge nucleus of uh, talented workers available in India. Now, the, the, it's up to us to hire that top 10% so that people don't see any performance gaps. But we've, uh, RT and I have long believed it's, we, we can do that. Other big advantage to India right now 
is the weak uh, the weak rupee to dollar exchange rate. Um, right. People can outsource to India today for essentially the same and sometimes lower costs than what they were paying in 2002 because of the rupee to dollar exchange rate. Uh, the gap between what an outsourcer might have to pay in India compared to what they have to pay in the Philippines or uh, a nearshore operation like Costa Rica or Jamaica um, is uh, tremendous. So anyone who maybe has thought, uh, oh, we tried India, it didn't work in 2005 when things were exploding so much, there were some bumps in the road, they should take another look because not only will they get top quality employees and top and people who understand um, how what global service delivery means, but they'll get a price point that truly makes sense. You know, and one more thought and then I'll shut up because I'm passionate about this because we've long thought about, well, should we open a Philippine operation? Should we open a uh, Central or South America operation? But when we've done the analysis, we've always come back to there's plenty of talent to leverage in India. And let, let's let's keep that uh, being our, our focus. And, and, and no regrets, we've done that, and we continue to be bullish on that approach. And in fact, just to add there, if you really look at uh, not just the strength of agents in India, if you look at really the middle level, uh, India has a huge, very experienced since BPO kind of came in 2000. So we're going to have 20 years now of international BPO experience with, you know, with the cross multinationals in probably every domain possible, right? right. Uh, many of them even having captive captive sites in India. Uh, I, th in contrasting that with Philippines, you know, they have a, um, the middle level, the middle um, management layer. In fact, it's probably staffed more by Indians there because there's just not enough uh, experienced talent to, to kind of cover everybody. So I think that's another huge advantage that I, right. India brings to the table is uh, extremely talented and I would say out of the box thinkers in the middle level. Good point. Right. Very, yep. very, very, very valid points, actually. Uh, that's what all these experience can bring out. All right. So, uh, next question is about client communication. You know, client communication, we have had a session on this also. It has proved very key during this remote working situation. So, what are your thoughts on how MK managed the same and some of the challenges faced in that area? You know, we like we mentioned earlier, I mean, so internally, we, we had very transparent communications with everyone. I mean, from day one, we had daily management meetings where everyone came with their list of concerns or challenges and we addressed them. And then we had team meetings, you know, with great frequency to reassure everyone. And as our team mentioned, uh, we, we, we interjected some fun events to keep everyone feeling a part of the family, the MK family. Right. With our clients, it hasn't been that different. While, you know, we always love having clients on site. And we always say that when you come on site and spend time with our team, it takes the client dynamic to a new level. Um, right. You know, Zoom meetings and uh, hangouts and, you know, depending on whatever forum the particular client uses have become quite the norm. And, and we have shown that you can have people at 50 different locations in their, in their homes or on premise or in the, the global client operations and still conduct business uh, quite effectively. 
That's not to right. say we don't all look forward to the day when clients can come visit again and we can go interact with clients. But but I think uh, you know in, in our in our approach there's there's been this inherent transparency in our culture even when things have screwed up. You know there have been times when even with the robust internet or infrastructure um, things haven't been a hundred percent. Um, right. Our challenge is always how do we let the client know about it before they find out about it? Um, our goal is to, hey, you're going to notice this when you look at the reports. Here's what happened. Here's what we did about it. Here's what we're doing to ensure to minimize the risk of it happening again. That's kind of our, our mantra, and it's worked very effectively. We've gotten many clients who have given us feedback that we've made this transition very comfortable for them. And in fact, some of our biggest clients have grown with us because I think we have proven that that confidence level is well-deserved. And I just like to add to, in fact, one of the best practices I saw, we are, you know, which kind of showed the partnership level was one of our large clients. They themselves said, yeah, you know, once a month, we want to have an hour session, which is just fun. So, you know, everybody right. got on the call and you just talked about your day, about how things going, played a game or something. So I think the kind of engagement that you have when you actually visit a client side or they come over, you kind of have your work and you have your reviews, but you also got for lunch and you kind of have a little bit of friendly banter. And I think uh, that was really uh, planned to kind of cover that gap, which after we planned, I mean, that happened after three or four months when we realized the business part was happening, but this, uh, relationship equation wasn't really getting to that same level and you know there were some new players so i thought that was a great practice and i and i've tried to um, take that idea and kind of use it against some others the other thing i thought uh, going back to when mike talked about a transparent communication with clients is one of our other clients in a review told me that i would rate your clients your team highest on an integrity factor when things go wrong they pick up the phone and tell me and she said i'm not the easiest person to deal with i know <laughs> but I admire your team to be able to pick up the phone and said, this is this is a team that has a very high integrity level. And I take that with, I know Mike and I take that with a huge amount of pride because that's exactly what we want uh, to, be, to be known for. People who outsource globally, people who outsource globally know there will be hiccups, know there will right. be errors. What they don't right. want is lip service, that everything's going well. They want... They want the truth. They want transparency. And and if there's one thing that I think RT and I are most gratified about within our team is our team embraces that. It's it's okay to screw up. We all do. I did once many years ago. Uh, but 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 the but the point is. What are you laughing at, RT? Um, but the point is, um, it, we 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 recognize the. You know, as a culture, it, it's not about the goof up. It's about what you, what we do about it. How do we address right. it? How do we fix it? How do we make things better? And and I really think that's a differentiator within our team. Absolutely, absolutely. We are transparent at the end of the day. All right. So another widely debated area where most organizations have struggled is with the remote workforce is keeping them engaged. So how did uh, what are your thoughts on how how, how did we manage to keep our remote workforce engaged during this oh, pandemic. I think Mike and I are extremely passionate about this. So I, sh I think this, can, this could take a whole hour, frankly. <laughs> uh, uh, I think, uh, of course, we struggled. I think the first month was really the focus was to get everybody up and ready and active and productive and uh, all of that. As I said, in the first one week, we managed to get 80% of our employees productive. Uh, but, but moving from a 
in-office environment where you can have one team meeting and address everybody in 15 minutes, you know, pre-shift briefings are done. Um, the challenge moved very dramatically. And I think the people who were hit the hardest were the team leaders because, you know, they're, they're young. They don't have necessarily the skills to be able to deal with such a lot of change. They may not have the environment in their homes to be able to do, uh, do that as well. And, and I think that really... Uh, but I think within the first month, we realized that was a challenge. We, we set up a lot of things. I think our training team really stepped up. There was a lot of programs just in small bites so that not to overwhelm anybody to be able to how to deal in a remote environment from how to do um, you know Zoom meetings and how, what, how to engage on Zoom with your, with your teams, how to engage on, you know, there's a lot more suddenly WhatsApp happening because there's, again, uh, more informal communication. What is the right protocol there? Um, how to actually uh, deal with the stress of working from home. And more recently, we actually uh, we spend a lot of time, management time, time in meeting to discuss how do we improve our employee communication? How do we reach out to employees? And uh, because this whole uh, MK is known for a very high employee touch point. And, and I think we do it to do a lot of it more than many other companies do. But then what happens is when you take that away, people feel the gap. And right. I, we were sensitive to the fact that now suddenly people will feel the gap of the absence of this great employee touch programs that we had, which was largely done from the office. So we made a lot of conscious decision. I'm sure Mike would probably want to talk about our. No, our no, I think, I think I think you I think you summarized it real well. I mean, it's uh, and by the way, it's uh, the only thing I would say is it's a work in progress through our uh, employee surveys, our e-pulse process. We're constantly asking, um, how can we improve? How can we make employees feel more connected? And, and uh, you know, as RT mentioned, we've done a variety of different events and functions that have broad participation. And, and so we know we're hitting, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a reasonably good job. Um, you know, our goal is to take it to the next level. And so that, uh, you know, uh, while we're starting to see attrition levels improve because of remote workforce, and we're starting to see um, ESAT numbers creep up because of some of the ways we interact remotely. Um, right. It's a, We're still learning as we go along, but, but as RT mentioned, it's a passion of both of ours. We, um, you know, uh, regularly RT and I will also uh, participate in team meetings and things, and often unannounced. We'll just show up and spend five minutes at the beginning of the meeting just thanking folks and giving folks a chance to ask questions. And it's always great when they have questions, right? You know, because it's, it's, it means that people are comfortable in, in raising issues and raising concerns. And so we're, um, you know, but it's a work in progress. It's, uh, we, we have not figured it all out yet. Far from it. But, but I think we're getting better every month. Every day, every day. Very nice. So that's fantastic. Okay. So now coming back to the industry standpoint, you know, as you mentioned earlier, BPO has always seen an uptick in adoption during scenarios like the current pandemic. So what are your thoughts on the adoption in last 12 months, maybe in 2020? And what kind of process do you think where be getting outsourced or, you know, the uptick happening? Oh. Well, as as we mentioned, I'll take a first stab and then RT can pile on. Um, but I... Uh, um, as I mentioned, uh, you know, global recessions help outsourcing, and we're seeing that. 
I think particularly within the e-commerce uh, realm, because people are going out as much. They're having to stay right. home as part of the pandemic, right? right. And so right. they, uh, uh, um, uh, and fortunately, that's one of our fortes. We have a, a large chunk of our service delivery devoted to some of the largest e-commerce brands globally. And so we've been a benefactor of that. Uh, food right. delivery, uh, you know, uh, remote food delivery companies is another area where um, the pandemic has directly impacted that growth, that volume. Right. And, and yeah. so, you know, but across all sectors, as people are looking to uh, uh, reduce their costs and maintain or increase their service delivery, um, outsourcing's a benefactor. So uh, that's, but that's a couple that come to mind for me. RTM, did I forget any? Uh, no, I think, and uh, uh, we're, 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 I think, prepared in every area. Of course, I think a big, uh, we've seen some new curveball businesses that we've started in 2020, uh, which uh, which is interesting. We're Part of our e-commerce business has been content writing, but very e-commerce focused content writing. We've taken that to the next level and actually gone in, um, you know, and we've, I think that itself is an upcoming uh, 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 area, which is, showing a lot of potential to grow, not just, uh, you know, in the traditional markets of the U.S. and U.K., but across other markets as well. So, right. and we're great to be, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, anyway, now uh, we, have, we are already in 2021 and four months are already almost done. So, what are the key preparations and measures taken by MK for 2021? And what are your thoughts on how this year is going to pan out? Well, um, you know, we, we continue to we continue to uh, um, evolve with the times, right? And so we have scenario A, scenario B, scenario C that we're constantly uh, modifying and addressing. Uh, for right. 2021, we're we're envisioning uh, to continue a large remote workforce. Um, right. You know, uh, some clients though want on-premise support, and we're we're capable of handling that as well. But it's a right. you know it's a it's a it's a it's a week to week, month to month, and sometimes day to day dynamic. We have a committee that works on it, and then communicates out to the team what what our current thoughts are. But right now, we've set the expectation that uh, we think there will be largely remote workforce uh, through 2021, and uh, possibly beyond that. And I think the advantage uh -huh. that opens up is really looking at more remote markets, which we couldn't traditionally look at 2020. 2020 was a year to just kind of uh, wait and watch. We kind of just reacted. Uh, nobody knew, you know, when this was going to happen. But, but now I think we all have a better vision that this is kind of, it's going gonna, it's gonna to last to the year. So I think a hybrid model in most cases is here to stay. But as I said, so it's an opportunity to look at other markets. We are aggressively looking at uh, other tier three, tier two markets where there's great talent available and we weren't able to tap it earlier. So I think uh, that's a big part of our 2021 adoption strategy as well, because now that we know this is, this is um, you know, not going away for a while, we've got to take advantage right. of being able to yeah. take business to where the talent is. Right. Yeah. I think that's good Good news for the young workforce of the country also. It right. really so, is, I think. It really is. I think they, you yeah. know, to be able to sit in your home and not have the expense of living in a metro, as you know, it's fairly expensive for a young guy or girl to come into a yeah. city and rent, rent an apartment or, or a paying guest. 
And uh, so I think this is, gives them an opportunity to have economic freedom, but live in their own spaces. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So, Mike, this question is particularly for you. You are recently in India. You just mm. went back to the U.S. So, how was it traveling this time around, and what kind of changes did you observe well, in India? Yeah, this time? You know, it was both um, very different and very much the same. Uh, you know, m many people might remember that I was. Uh, when the lockdown occurred, I was in India, and so I ended up staying in India the first several months of the lockdown because we couldn't get a flight out. So I finally returned home to the U.S. in July, and uh, but I was fortunate enough to get vaccinated uh, in February of this year. And so um, RT and I, because of all the business we have going on, we decided it makes sense for me to parachute into India um, and, and so I did the first couple of weeks of April, end of March, uh, first couple of weeks of April. And the flights, you know, the logistics and the flying, other than um, wearing masks on the plane all the time and, and uh, you know, practicing, you know, doing those practices that we all know well about sanitizing our hands and uh, trying to remain some distance uh, from other folks as much as possible, that, those logistics were pretty similar. Um, uh, uh, getting a negative COVID test on my entry into India and both, and then my departure from India was another added step. But again, those were all process steps. Now I will say, once I hit the ground in India and spent time in our center and spent time uh, meeting with our teams, um, very much the same. Uh, a business, uh, India is open from a service delivery standpoint. Um, as right. I mentioned earlier, we're, hit, we're hitting, uh, some of the largest production numbers we've ever hit as a company. Uh, the only yeah. difference is it's 30% on-premise, 70% uh, remote. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it, that's an evolving dynamic. Uh, number, uh, COVID numbers are spiking right now in India. And, and yeah. we have people who uh, a few weeks ago were very comfortable coming to the office every day who now their families are a little more nervous about it. And and so that's again we have to be nimble in how we and how we uh, uh, work with our employees. Uh, you know we updated our uh, BCP plans, business continuity plans, with each one of our clients uh, before they asked for it. We did it, and as a result, there have been some temporary shifts in work even since I was in India and returned home. So those are the kinds of uh, curveballs that this pandemic. Uh, presents but but i mean the short answer is i was very gratified to see so many smiling happy uh you know faces um but also many zoom meetings doesn't matter whether i'm in tacoma <laughs> washington or new delhi um many of our employees i communicated exactly like this too and that's perfectly okay in fact, I think when we did the first real uh, time session last year, Mike, were you, weren't you in the Airbnb? Um, and yeah. that's where you, do, yeah. yeah, in Delhi, yeah, in Gurgaon. Yeah. And well, for many ways, it's probably deja vu because you're back in the same Airbnb now. <laughs> oh, not that, now, that's but right. when you were that, here. Three yeah, when ago, I was in India, same. It yeah. felt like it felt like home. You know, the the, the <laughs> toilet still leaked. You know, so, so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A little too much information, but, you know. Yeah, think, yeah. Uh, oh, come on. We all have that. We all have that. Let's fix that, right? But, um, but I think, also, I think for MK, you know, through the through the course of this pandemic, which has been interesting, and Mike kind of just saw the uh, start of it, is we moved offices in Gurgaon. So we, we had a, been in our old uh, building for, I think, almost 13 oh. years or 12 years, and we 
move from that to another facility, a brand new built up uh, uh, place we, in July. We August thought, we thought with, with, all, with all the headaches of a pandemic, with all the headaches of a pandemic, why not move buildings too at the same time? <laughs> yeah, Let's just right add here. that to the, uh, <laughs> to, to the mix. It has so, been quite yeah, uh, 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 a year for us. That, yeah. Yeah. Right, right. We play bold. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> we 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 are coming to the end of the session. So my final question is just a question for the viewers who will watch this later or watching it now, belonging belonging to companies who are facing challenges. So what are your top advice for organizations, global, regional, who are struggling with outsourcing or are looking to outsource in 2021? You know, I always, you know, and I've been on many, many sales calls recently because companies who have never outsourced before are looking at it. And, right. you know, what I basically advise is find companies who um, who are experienced in, in handholding in the implementation process of, of outsourcing. Uh, right. Don't hesitate to take a dip a toe in the water approach. Pick a process right. or pick a small 20, 30 FTE um, part of your business and and start there. there well, there might be a hesit you know a tendency to let's do it and then you know you'll you'll run into more uh, uh, rough waters. I think doing it that way. Um, also, and this is a plug for um, a company like MK. Um, be careful of the be being a small fish in a big pond dynamic. You know, people might think they, they mitigate risk by going to one of the giant BPO players out there. Uh, in fact, the 20 FT process to, uh, to one of the giants who has tens of thousands of agents, um, you will not get the attention uh, that, that you would at a more uh, specialized boutique player like MK or many of our worthy competitors. I'm not saying right. we're the only ones who can meet their service delivery. I do happen to think we're probably the best at being able yes. to meet their service delivery. But, <laughs> I was going to say that. But, yeah. but it's um, toe, toe in the water and, and, and find people who have a proven track record of uh, taking companies that haven't outsourced before globally and done it. Because if you do that, you mitigate a lot of the risk. And, and that yeah. happens, by the way, that happens to be our forte, www.matsinkumar.com. Um, would be a good place to get more information. Absolutely. I'm the Kumar, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking as the Matson, and I think for companies who need to reduce costs and create redundancies, this could never be, this is probably one of the best times. And I think looking at the, as we already mentioned, I think Mike talked about the rupee to dollar rate and how it's, uh, it's really advantageous today. Uh, I think people should really give India a look uh, the talent, the redundancy that India can offer you, not just, you know, India is a huge country. So even within India, you can get a lot of redundancy. This is probably your best time to look at outsourcing if you haven't done it yet. Right, right. All right. Yeah. Thank you so well, much. In fact, one of our biggest segments of growth on piling under RT there is uh, alternative languages. And not only, you know, not just yes. Indian languages, but... Uh, Chinese, uh, many of the European languages, Spanish, uh, uh, you know, In fact, French, there's a lot of Southeast uh, Asian uh, languages yeah. that was traditionally Philippine market yeah. is now coming to India. We're doing yeah. Vietnamese, we're doing uh, 
uh, I don't know, uh, Indonesian. Thai, yeah. yeah, Indonesian. Thai. Yep, yep, yeah. And I think the uh, other a lot of Mandarin are... and Cantonese, and I mean, it's a you know, it, it's the gambit of you know, of, of that's the great thing about the melting pot that is India and uh, 1.3 billion people. You can find resources, you know, uh, and 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 still keep the price point at a very competitive level. And I would say choose a player who has good infosec policies and infosec track record yeah. because I think there used to be this uh, thing about India and the data security. India has improved a lot. I think there's a, you know, if you have India as a country has very, very robust and sophisticated infosec. In fact, we have our own separate specialized infosec team that's been doing PCI certification for glo global companies, in fact, not just for us. Right. Uh, for years, yeah. and I and I always like to say, yeah, w right. We are PCI certified, not compliant. A lot. Of, everyone will say, oh, we're PCI compliant. Um, we're certified. We go through the audit process every year with a third party who validates independently that we meet all the PCI requirements. And that's to RT's point. That's a huge uh, factor that anyone who's looking to outsource needs to uh, need, needs to consider. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Thank you so much for your time, uh, both of you, for coming on the show and uh, sharing your insights. I uh, hope to get you back all soon for another topic soon. Uh, stay safe and thank you so much. Thank you, Vivek. It was great chatting well, with thank you. Thank you so much. Now, 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 now when, do we, when do we get our prize packages? When do we get our prize packages <laughs> for participating in this? Once, uh, once this goes live, Mike, expect a parcel at your door. Okay. Ah, okay. <laughs> great, great. I can't wait. I can't wait. Okay. Right. Thank, Thank you very you so much. much. Thank you very much. Nice. Good questions. Good questions. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. All right. So that was Mike and Arthi. I don't think anybody else can give insights on business process outsourcing than these two individuals. Uh, it's it's amazing the way that they have seen the industry. They have grown with the industry. They have worked across length and breadth in this industry. So I hope you guys all got uh, enough information to make your outsourcing plans ready. And remember all the action is happening in India. So focus on India. And if you have any questions, please visit matsukumar.com. Say hello to us and we will be there with you. Thank you so much for watching today. See you all with next episode. Thank you for listening to Real Time with MK Podcast today. Please follow Real Time with MK Podcast for more exciting episodes on business process outsourcing, e-commerce outsourcing, contact center management, and more.